0: Hello, I'm Amber Athey, Washington Editor of The Spectator, and I'm here to tell you about our fantastic new election offer. Go to spectator.us slash electionoffer and subscribe to get three months free access to the Spectator US website and our new app available on the Apple and Google Play stores. Make sure you're getting the very best coverage and commentary in the run-up to November 3rd. Find out more at spectator.us slash electionoffer.
1: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be reelected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. I'm joined today by Marcus Roberts, who is head of international politics for YouGov. And Marcus is here in the office in this age of COVID. So it's great to have you in. It's great to be back. Thank you. Let's talk about, I think I had you on maybe a month and a half ago. And you were pretty confident again with reservations about the likelihood of a Biden victory. I think it's fair to say those odds have diminished a little bit. But you still think Biden retains the clear advantage. Is that a fair summary?
0: That's a very fair characterization. What has happened since we last spoke is that Biden's national polling position has been reduced by one or two points, going down from, say, that 10-plus position that he commanded in the high summer before the conventions to more like a high single digits poll lead. But critically, he retains an advantage that is significant enough in the battleground states to give him a high probability of winning the Electoral College. And his national poll lead would need to come down from the seven or eight points that it currently is to something more like I think three or four points for Trump to have as good a chance of repeating his bottled lightning trick of 2016 in which he lost the popular vote by three points, but nonetheless won the Electoral College and quite handsomely so. So as long as Biden can maintain a high single digits national poll lead, and can maintain a position in the battleground states that means he's at least four or five points ahead in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, he's far more likely than not to
1: be the next president of the United States. But that average advantage he has in the battleground states has gone down to maybe three or four points, would you say?
0: Yes, so in the latest polls from YouGov, it's still the case that Trump is leading in Ohio. We've seen Ohio shift away as part of the Rust Belt shift to the right even more uh, over the course of the summer and over the course of the last couple of election cycles. But beyond that, we're seeing Biden enjoying a four-point lead, 51-47 in Florida, a four-point lead, interestingly enough, in Georgia even, uh, 51-47. And that means that as long as Biden is playing offense in states that would be nice-to-haves, not must-haves, he's enjoying an even bigger position of a lead in more like five, six, seven points in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, and in Wisconsin. If he retains those states that Trump was so impressively able to flip in 2016, then what happens in Florida and in Georgia are questions of how big Biden's majority is rather than a question of who the president is.
1: Georgia is very interesting, as is North Carolina, which is looking very tight. And I think I'm right in saying both those states are testament to the growing proportion of the african-american vote in those states the african-american vote is growing as, as a percentage of the electorate there Are the indications that Biden is going to have more success in turning out the African-American vote than Hillary Clinton did in 2016? And if so, how decisive would that be? So far, that
0: is looking the case. The Biden campaign has run a very tight operation when it comes to African-American turnout, African-American stakeholders and managing the politics within the African-American community, even amongst the crisis of the Black Lives Matter protests and counter-protests. However, the Biden campaign has more problems on the side of Hispanic voters. And this is why the vote in Florida and the polls in Florida are even tighter than in those other places where the African-American vote is more significant. At the moment, Biden is underperforming amongst Hispanic voters, but he isn't enjoying the same levels of support that Secretary Clinton enjoyed four years ago. And that's why in places like Florida, it's a tighter race than the Biden campaign would like it to be.
1: And is the thinking there that the Black Lives Matter moment, the crisis, as you called it, perhaps sort of shored up Biden's support among large sections of the African-American community, but also caused resentment among white voters and Hispanic voters who at first supported Black Lives Matter, but as the riots went on, became a little bit disturbed by the Democrats' unwillingness to condemn violence on the streets? for some time.
0: There's very little evidence in the polling of a significant white backlash, actually, with regard to Black Lives Matter. In fact, what has been telling is the backlash that President Trump has suffered amongst voters that you would have expected to be aligned to him in Rust Belt states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. In those states, a majority of voters are giving a clear advantage to which candidate is the the candidate of law and order, Joe Biden, over uh, Donald Trump. If this argument was as successful for the president as he needs it to be, you would expect to see some evidence in the polling of that, and there's no evidence in the polling so far on that. Now, it may be that it takes time to build this case and that it will be more effective come election day, but at present it doesn't look to be the winning case that perhaps the Trump campaign hoped it would be. I'm not sure about how it plays out so much in the Hispanic community, except to say that with the focus on one I think minority group rather than another, it might be that some Hispanic voters are feeling left out in terms of the construction of the new Democratic coalition under Joe Biden. And that's why he probably needs to spend a little more time and effort on that side.
1: Let's talk a bit about election night, because something we're hearing more and more is that this is not going to be a conventional election night in which a result is very clear and declared within a few hours. I think Axios reported this, and we're hearing it from other groups, something a very likely scenario might be with all the, with the massive increase in mail-in ballots and slow reading of the ballots, that you will have a Trump victory declared on the night because of a decisive, seemingly decisive result. And then over the next few days, you will have the mail-in ballots winning it back for Joe Biden. So the sort of chaos that that could cause is quite frightening in a way, I'd say, given how hostile things are in American politics. I agree there's a potential for real chaos in respect
0: of election night. But there's several things that we should bear in mind that could be done to help mitigate that chaos or manage the problem. One of them is understanding that we should not be declaring states early election commentators the media should be well advised about the importance of waiting until votes are actually counted waiting until early votes and postal votes and absentee ballot numbers are known and understood before calling any state and it is a basic rule of thumb if you've got a number of absentee ballots that is larger than the margin of victory you're projecting from on the night counting then what on earth are you doing projecting a winner there unless you're very sure of your sampling now that's one point another point to bear in mind is how other foreign capitals react on election night. If national capitals react by congratulating President Trump on his re-election, that will set one tone in terms of how media coverage for the subsequent days play out. But if it's just Russia, declaring President Trump the winner, and all other major national capitals are holding back on waiting for the ballots to actually be counted, that will create a very different context in which the days subsequent to the election will play out. Crucially, however, the way out of all of this is the state of Florida. If Florida goes for Joe Biden by a clear margin, so many votes will have been cast in Florida on the day as opposed to in advance, then if Florida is going, Biden, it's very difficult to see a path to Trump's re-election by any major chance in the Electoral College. So Florida's decision is going to determine, I think, whether or not we have a long night or a long week.
1: Can you explain just quite why Florida is so crucial? Because I understand it's 29 college votes which is large, but it seems possible that Trump could win, you know, you might say it's a fluky draw, but he had a fluky draw before. If he wins Minnesota, say, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan, wouldn't that compensate for the loss of Florida? It's possible, but particularly unlikely
0: because, as Trump demonstrated in 2016, there's an order to the way in which the dominoes tend to fall in U.S. battleground states. Once you start losing ground in Ohio, you're more likely to lose ground in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, and then, yes, uh, further down the line in Minnesota. If at the point at which the Biden campaign has won Florida, it's very difficult to see how it has not done at least as well amongst similar demographic and socioeconomic groups, particularly shall we say, lower-income white voters, as well as achieving a level of turnout and a level of support amongst African-American or Hispanic voters, that it would be possible in that situation for Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Minnesota to all break for Trump in a countervailing force. That is a theoretical possibility, but it's an electoral extreme improbability.
1: Right. Right and just on mail in voting i mean you hear a lot of republicans you hear trump himself saying that it is open to corruption is an unreliable measure and that certainly universal mail in is a dubious way of conducting an election. I wonder what you think about that. This is where the GOP is going
0: crazy internally. Everyone from the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, to the Republican National Committee, to senior White House aides, are begging the president almost daily to stop his tirades against uh, mail-in ballots because they are so worried about Republican suppression of the vote as a consequence of this. And they're particularly worried again about the state of Florida. They're worried about older Republican voters feeling that a ballot is not safe to cast because it is not secure, thanks to the president's warnings on this, nor is it safe for them to go out and vote in person because of the pandemic. And the Republican Party right now is very worried that stuck between those two warnings, Republican turnout amongst those crucial older voters in Florida is going to be suppressed, in part because of the president's own
1: words. This is an odd thing because, I mean... Traditionally, it's always been thought that larger mail-in ballots help the Democrats, but then, of course, among key groups like veterans and older voters, Trump has the advantage, and they tend to be people who vote absentee ballot more. Is that right?
0: That's right. And it, what is interesting there is the way in which Joe Biden has narrowed the gap amongst veterans, narrowed the gaps amongst older voters, and narrowed the gap amongst white working class voters. You could say almost that Joe Biden's entire electoral strategy has been about mitigating his weaknesses more than it has been about driving up the score in the areas where the Democratic Party is traditionally strongest. And so as long as that politics remains in place, and as long as the septuagenarian success of Biden Biden Biden, and his everyone calm down, you can trust me to not screw this thing up. I'm not like Hillary campaign works out, then you can see a lot of reasons to believe that the absentee ballots will be surprisingly favourable to the Democrats, even among some of those groups this year.
1: And taking COVID out of it, and also taking this particular election out of it, I wonder what you think about mass mail-in balloting, As a way of conducting a democracy, because to me, it seems a sad shift from the decisive snapshot of Election Day to a more sort of gradual forming of opinion that happens over a few weeks. And I I think that's something regrettable and a little bit perhaps even worrying.
0: I understand that from a romantic perspective, because as a campaigner of 25 years standing in both US, UK uh, politics, I also feel the love and excitement of election night and the importance romantically of election day and of a nation coming together and deciding who its government is going to be. But I think we're probably pretty weird people in that respect. I think (laughs) most, most voters tend to view this less as a national celebration of our democracy and more as a necessary experience, for some people, even necessary evil, that they have to get over with in order to get politics out of the way and back to their real lives. But more importantly than that, voting over a period of time is more reflective of how voters actually make their minds up about who they're going to vote for. They don't make their minds up in a sudden moment of decision as they enter the ballot booth. They don't make their mind up as a result of a single soundbite on TV. They make their mind up as a result of a series of political choices and experiences, of personal relationships, of conversations, of attitudes, values formed over a long period of time and then express that over a long period of time in voting. And where we have seen a shift to universal mail-in balloting, for example in the state of Oregon over the last 20 or 30 years, what we've seen as a consequence is much higher turnout, much higher levels of political engagement and that that has fed a more diverse democracy in that state. It means that we lose out on some of the fun and glories of the romance of election day and election night, but you do probably end up with a more robust democracy for it.
1: But it also means different states are sort of reacting to different things at different times. For instance, massive fires in Oregon at the moment might mean that that's on people's minds when they're casting the vote, but it wouldn't be in November. So you have sort of different people operating in different periods of time within a democracy, particularly someone as large as America.
0: That's very true. But in that respect, again, you might make the democratic argument that it's actually better to be reflecting a series of different decisions by a series of different people over a period of time, rather than what happens to be the flave du jour of a moment that we happen to cast as election
1: day. That's a very postmodern federalist way of looking at it.
0: (laughs) What's not to love in this era of everyone quoting Hamilton? (laughs)
1: Thank you very much, Marcus. Please come in again soon. My pleasure. Thank you. And just before I sign off, I'd like to alert you all to the fact that Spectator TV, the Spectator's new TV channel, is doing a special American election episode tomorrow. That will be hosted by Andrew Neil, our chairman, that will feature Amber Athey, the Spectator's Washington editor, as well as Charles Lipson, who is a professor of politics at the University of Chicago, and myself. And we're going to be going through all the interesting and pertinent questions about this upcoming election in November, including what happens if it's a contested election, the role of Black Lives Matter in American politics today, and what are the key underlying factors driving Biden and Trump's campaign. It will be available on The Spectator's YouTube channel from 3pm Eastern Standard Time and 8pm British Standard Time. This episode will not be live uh, like the first two episodes of Spectator TV, but if you have any questions, please email them to spectatortv at spectator.co.uk. Do give it a watch.